0: editor of wrestling nick nick hausman back here with another episode of the winkly and joined here this wednesday by not justin labar it is michael Weissman back for the second time this week michael welcome back to the winkly
1: Man, I feel like that's a, a slam on me. My new name is Not Justin Labar. That's what it's my new Twitter handle, at you know, Not Justin Labar. I've certainly heard worse monikers on The Independent. <laughs> and honestly, we, we go from yesterday, we're talking about Chris Van Villet filling in for me, um, you know, and then this week, now I'm not just, or today, I'm not Justin Labar. So there you go. Chris Van Vleet. Vleet. How do we screw that up? He's got just a cool name there, right? And like we said yesterday, great hair. Great hair.
0: Great hair from that Chris Van Vleet. Uh well we got a great show planned for you here today of course we're gonna talk the news of the last 24 hours here uh in just a, in just a minute uh but I want to let you know right after the news here today we're gonna to have a big interview I teased this yesterday I'm very happy to finally let this one out onto the world uh, it is my interview with Priscilla Kelly uh we talk uh, a lot about uh, what she's doing on the Independence right now and uh you know she she takes big risks she did that infamous tampon spot. That everybody seemed to have an opinion about uh, a couple months ago, and so we reflect on that and just the uh, double standards and, hypo- and hypocrisy between men and women in the uh, overall entertainment industry, not just pro wrestling. Uh, very, a very pro- progressive, interesting conversation I felt the Priscilla and I had here.
1: I'm excited to listen to it. I, um, you know, she's an interesting character. She's been around. She has had an appearance in WWE in the May Young Classic. So this should be good with all the controversy. She's young. You know, she was born in 1997. I do. I do. does that make you feel old?
0: It makes, well, and the thing is, you know, I went back, she was on My Big Fat American Gypsy Wedding, the TV show, uh, mm-hmm. for, the, for those of you all that like your, your trash TV, uh, and the first episode, we talk about it here a bit in the interview, too, is, uh, it's called 14 and Looking for a Husband or whatever, and it makes it come across, like, uh, her family, uh, which is, a, 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 they're gypsy, you know, their culture is gypsy, made it look like they were trying to, like, sell her off at 14 years old at this big party and all that, and, uh uh, fascinating fascinating but yeah does but... she
1: tease any aew um possible uh, appearances we do
0: it? talk about aew I'll leave it at that, so we won't spoil the thing. And then after after the interview's over, at the end of the show, i'll I'll tell you the I'll tell you the the real deal because everybody will have heard the interview then. So, <laughs> there we go. Uh, so that's 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 coming up here. But let's don't get... skip ahead. I know you have the po- power of podcasting, right? But
1: don't skip ahead to the end. Uh,
0: well. Uh, on that news, you can use news that'll leave a bruise, uh, bruised uh, viewership this week for Monday Night Raw. Of course, last week was the big Raw reunion special. Uh, we were wondering. You know, they did over 3 million average viewers across the whole show. Um, They were the number one show on cable television. Can they keep that bump? Can they keep that rub? Uh, Well, the answer is apparently no. Uh, Pretty quick drop here. Back down 25%. uh, The show drew an average of 2.321 million viewers. Uh, Yeah, like I said, down 25% from the uh, 3.093 they did last week. Uh, This is also down from the last regular Raw episode, the post-extreme rules show, which drew 2.453 million viewers. It was the lowest audience for the show since June 24th. The first hour drew 2.407, second 2.324, third 2.233. Michael, what do you think we can glean from the numbers this week?
1: Well you know unfortunately this is a steeper drop than i imagined it was be would be i was i was saying it would come in around a 2.6 was my original prediction i believe uh, last week but yeah man this is a sign that you know the viewers that were there last week did not stick around the people who came back to see all their stars you said this last week on Tuesday's winkly you said They didn't do a whole lot to incentivize fans to come back the following week. I pushed back and said, no, I think they did. And apparently they didn't. Fans just came, saw their stars, and they didn't tune back in last night. You know, the fact that it came in below the post-extreme rules show, we know that these post-pay-per-view shows do get a little bump. So you take that out here, and this Raw is right in line with everything else we've seen. But that tells me that WWE and, and yes, they've bounced back from those low lows of right around the twos that they were having, but they're still struggling to get that week over week audience and let alone see any growth. Right, you can't do stunt shows every week; it just doesn't work. And when you have to resort to that to get little ratings pops, uh, and you're not seeing any other growth, that's a bad sign.
0: Yeah, I, I it's it was jarring for me to read these numbers. You know, I I really did think watching that Raw reunion last week, uh, you had a lot of people come back to see that, and then you know when it's not there anymore. That, that 25% chunk of people just walks away. Um, so, I, again, it's like I go back to the argument of uh, how do you work some of these stars in? How do you how do, Like they did with Trish Stratus on SmackDown last night. That was a great use of her. Sprinkle this stuff around so that it's not, uh, it's not something that we're getting all at once. And people, I think, will come back if they, if they know that occasionally you're going to see these pop-ups and things like that. I think you can start to court some of that audience back to the show.
1: Well, it also tells me, too, that, you know, some things that I didn't even think about watching the show, but there was a big deal made about the interaction between the OC and the club, you know, or, or uh, the NWO, DX, or whoever, however you want to call all those dudes together, right? Yeah. Um, there was a big deal made about how they did not put over the OC, right? And in fact, they made the OC look worse. And I didn't think about it much in the moment while watching Raw last week. But you go back to something like that and you think there was an opportunity to so not pass the torch. I hate that phrase, pass the torch, right, because everybody's unique. But to kind of say, hey, these guys get a rub and get a get their props from – The veteran team here and the oc could have then maybe gleaned some of that the new fans who tune in who liked what we saw back in the day between dx and nwo and all those guys together maybe they tune in for the club the fact that it didn't happen is again a lost opportunity and as a result wwe and the stars in the roster today didn't get anything from that you know how do you build these stars up week over week it takes time right i think seeing some kind of expecting some kind of Big ratings boost uh, over a week, you know, maybe was a little bit optimistic. It does take time. But to me, again, this tells me there is a whole lot of work to be done, a whole lot of creative work to be done to make up the lost ground they've lost over, I think, the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, and, you know, you're right. Reflecting on that OC, uh, we'll call it the click W.O., um, (laughs) it was a, yeah, I think that, yeah, I think it was missed opportunity there uh, for those guys not to to look strong. And, you know, this week, uh, and we'll get to SmackDown here now, uh, you know, I I thought was uh the, I thought that they were starting to, to, to heat these guys back up a, a little bit again. Um, so anyway, let's get to SmackDown here. The news coming out of SmackDown last night. Uh, the Observer Pro Wrestling Sheet uh were both reporting uh yesterday before the show that SmackDown had to be rewritten. Because Vince wanted it rewritten. So the whole show got rewritten last second again, just like last week. Uh, (laughs) This is
1: crazy, dude. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What kind of madness is this? I mean, this is literally, this is late. We've been saying this for a while, the rewrites, the constant rewrites, the last minute changes. But this is literally late game WCW style of booking. Except the only difference is there's a whole lot more people involved in the process here in 2019 than there was back in 2001. And, and, and it's insane. Last week's show, we didn't find out about this till afterwards, and I think last week's show was pretty well received, right? Everybody seemed to enjoy it. There was a good energy to it. The news about this rewrite came out yesterday. I think it was Ryan Satin uh, over at Person Sheet who broke the news on this, and it was a, a pretty crazy thing. You're like, they're doing it again? And I don't think last night's show reflected the level of quality that I felt like came out of last week's show.
0: I I agree with that. It did seem to lag a little bit, even though there was like a lot of news coming out of the show. Uh, One of the things I thought was interesting is I we read about how Vince ordered the SmackDown script to be rewritten. I was looking this morning because like we saw some Heyman news and like what his influence was coming out of Raw. I haven't seen anything about what Eric did last night, right? And maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe Eric's biggest contribution to SmackDown is he's like, Hey Vince, you know what the creative team and the wrestlers and the fans love when you just show up. The day of the show would say, this is all trash. We're doing something different. Maybe we'll even be writing the show as the show itself is going on in some kind <laughs> of weird uh, purgatory-type improv, scripted improv, sketch show-type dynamic.
1: Yeah, maybe, and maybe that's a sign of... of- Eric Bischoff's influence? I certainly hope not. It's not. I mean, listen, I right? I kid. I kid. We're, we're You and I are creative people, Nick. We like to, you know, we do this, but we also have our creative endeavors, and there is something to the creative process being very organic, and sometimes when you involve too many people in that, it can absolutely water down the end product. You talk about an auteur like Quentin Tarantino and what he's able to put onto the screen, and it's his singular vision, right? But what I think the problem here is, is number one, I don't think Vince's vision is what it once was his creative vision his creative grasp is not what it was let's say 20 30 years ago right he's just he's been around a while and it's it things have changed things are different so i think that's part of it but again when you when you have these last minute changes for something that is as heavily produced here in 2019 as a WWE program is, because let's be honest, guys, there's so much more that goes into making one of these. than there was in 1995, 96, 97, whatever. There's just so much more. There's more camera work. There's more pro- production sec, all this stuff, right? When you have something that's that heavily produced, you can't make it up the day of and expect things to go as smooth and seamlessly as you want them to. It, it just doesn't work.
0: Well, uh, we did, uh, we saw some creative vision here at the end of SmackDown last night when Roman Reigns was attacked. He was attacked mysteriously as a whole production rig fell on top of him. Uh, we didn't know who officially did it. We still don't know who officially did it. There's some speculation. Maybe it was Samoa Joe since they've you know had their confrontations recently. Also, somebody spotted Buddy Murphy walking away backstage away from the scene <laughs> of the crime. You know, was Buddy Murphy the man who just <laughs> tried to kill Roman Reigns? <laughs>
1: That's it. We've Buddy Murphy finally getting the rub fans have wanted him have for years in this weird, bizarre, all uh, handed segment. Did you like this segment, Nick? I literally.
0: I, okay, so I watched SmackDown a little bit of a delay. I watched the rest of it this morning because I actually I wound up watching the debates last night and uh, caught a little SmackDown. And then I fell asleep. I woke up. I finished it. And I'm sitting there this morning with my cup of coffee and I'm working on the site. And then I'm like, all right. And I get to the end and. I watched it, Michael, and I'll just never forget, my jaw just dropped. And I sat there for about 30 seconds watching it play out and then I had to catch myself. I was like, your mouth is a gape right now, Nick. You're just watching this like in pure shock at the moment. <laughs> uh, I think it was the cut to... Roman like flinching and like throwing up his hands to the (laughs) cut of the frame falling on what I thought was like a crash test dummy wearing Roman Reigns gear. I mean, (laughs) that thing got flattened and then the cut to Roman seemingly did not get as flattened as it was. It first appeared. He's sitting comfortably uh, to the side of it. Um, I mean, I'm always down for like soap opera stuff where it's like who killed J.R., which kind of felt like this. So I didn't hate it. Uh, I did think it was a little sci-fi produced for me. I'll put it that way.
1: Well, and, and I always temper my initial reactions on things like this nowadays. After the infamous uh, – my, my infamously differing, differing viewpoint on the Braun Strowman Bobby Lashley segment from Raw about a month ago and how I did not like it and everybody else on Twitter was like, this is the greatest thing ever, right? And I was like, okay, I always got to gut check myself before I say I have a negative reaction to something, right? Did it work in the moment? Did it tell the story they wanted to? And I, I was like, it's fine. I didn't think it was as awful as some people are making it out to be. But again, I think it was way, to your point and kind of what you were alluding to there, it's way too overproduced to tell an effective story. It pulls you out of the moment. You know who I think did it?
0: I think it was Rikishi. You want to know why? (laughs) Why? Because he did it for The Rock. (laughs)
1: god that was you know i do remember the uh, stone cold steve austin um crash that sec- uh, hitting hit and run segment from back in the day and it was a great storyline right they, the, the police came around they were interviewing everybody and then the way they tease that entire thing out with the blonde hair and it turns out it was you know Drakishi and i don't even know if he had blonde hair when he was driving the anyway uh, that was great this is not one of those segments and and i think hey. that they were trying to make something happen hey. like they did on monday night didn't work
0: hey you know what I like it. Look, I want Roman Reigns versus The Rock. You know, I thought I threw it out there as like a joke, but like you know, the Usos, there's history. Maybe Rikishi. Maybe this is his thing. Maybe he's been a hired goon for Dwayne Johnson for years. And he's like, go take care, go take care of Roman. Big dogs get a little too big for his britches.
1: He's like at a dotted line on the seven bucks production, um, you know, roll sheet, or whatever. I think payroll. You know what? I think it could be Buddy Murphy.
0: You know, nothing they do and put in frames is accidental. I doubt that they were shooting this, and Buddy Murphy's like, oh, shit, gotta get out of here. They're, <laughs> <laughs> they're filming this segment. You know, either as a red herring or whatever, I think, you know, maybe it is Buddy Murphy. Uh, Buddy uh, Murphy, Roman Reigns. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's it's very random. It feels like a bit of a 2K game. Simulator (laughs) mashup. But, you know, again, Buddy Murphy needs a spot here. And, you know, he's a good, vicious, straightforward heel. Uh, I think he could work well with Roman, you know. Do you
1: reckon if we took all the stars from Raw and SmackDown and we booked everything according to 2K19's WWE Universe mode, if we would get a better fan reaction or a worse fan reaction than what's happening on TV now? I
0: think you just get whatever reaction you get in Saudi Arabia. I mean, that's pretty much <laughs> what those shows
1: are. Dude, the thing about this is, you know, Monday Night show ended on this note where this element of unpredictability, right? Brock Lesnar beating the crap out of Seth Rollins. We're so used to having three-on-three tag matches to end these shows, they didn't go that direction on monday night and it was very effective and very well received with seth rollins and brock lesnar and it seemed like they were doing something again like that right they were going to say let's do something unpredictable to end the show to get viewers to tune in next week the problem is what you end on and that unpredictability has to have some element of i want to say realism and draw to it and this again felt like a circus act it felt like look at all these and and to get the camera angles The story you're telling to your audience with the way you set up all these production elements, including cameras and lights and everything else, that has an effect on how much your audience buys into it. And when you have a camera set up to show the close-up of this mechanism falling down on Roman Reigns, it takes me out of the moment. It's like whenever they showed the cameraman acting all crazy a couple of weeks ago after the fireworks show with Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley. When you show us and peel back the curtain, it takes me out of the moment, and I'm not as bought into your storylines.
0: Yeah, just, just a little goofy produce for me. But with all that said, you know, look, Roman Reigns attacked. Who's the attacker? It's always a hook. It always, it, it, I think it will get people's attention, and, I, you know, I didn't hate it. Uh, Trish Stratus, like I said, when she was back on this show, uh, Charlotte Flair confronted her. Uh, this was pretty ham-handed here, uh, the way they put this one together with Jerry Lawler, you know, doing the, the Kings Court gimmick in Memphis there and just saying, Trish, do you think you'll wrestle another match? And Charlotte going, of course she will. She'll do it with me. Uh, you know, they've they put it together pretty quickly there on the spot. With all that said, I think this will be a great match at SummerSlam. You know, these two are these two are legends. Yeah,
1: it makes a lot of sense to put Charlotte Flair in this spot. You know, she didn't really have... She's uninvolved in a current storyline in a meaningful fashion that would carry her SummerSlam. And she absolutely can carry one of these big event matches, such as Facing a Legend, like Trish Stratus. Always excited to see Trish Stratus back in the fold. You know, she she has meant so much to the women's division. I love the call here in this rivalry, this promo, where Charlotte Flair's like, back in your day, it was all TNA. And, and, you know, today it's... The wrestling women's division means something. So I love this kind of, you know biting remarks here that has some element of truth to it should be a good match should be fun and and should spotlight both Charlotte and and give Trish a a nice little one more match moment.
0: Yeah. Uh, We also uh, from the women on SmackDown, we saw Bailey lay out Ember Moon after they lost to Nikki and Alexa. Of course, they're going to face off at SummerSlam. This caught me way off guard and I actually really liked it. Uh, I've been very interested to see I've been, because Bailey's kind of been, you know, in this purgatory, this gray area for a little while now. I wanted to see him really push her one way or the other. Uh, I think getting more heelish and doing stuff like this, I'm all for it. I like this experiment. I want to see what Bailey can do in this area.
1: Absolutely. It's something new for her, and especially when she's paired up against somebody like Ember Moon, who the fans seem receptive to, who they do like. And again, I think the world of Ember Moon, she's got a, a ton of career ahead of her and success ahead of her. I think it adds an element of intrigue to this match, as opposed to just doing good girl versus good girl here.
0: Yes. Um And we also found out yesterday on Twitter uh, in the afternoon, WWE announced that The Miz is going to take on Dolph Ziggler at SummerSlam. Uh, Ziggler did beat Finn Balor last night after Bray Wyatt interfered in the match and and caused the distraction. Uh, But The Observer reporting Miz versus Ziggler. This is a red herring. They're saying this match is going to be changed. Um, (laughs) It's a pretty strong statement there. Um, What do you think of that?
1: Two weeks out, oh, excuse me, we're, we're what, one week out now, one and a half weeks out, for two more shows until SummerSlam, right? And it's so crazy to me that this is kind of the way they're building the show, right? You talk about earlier Trish Stratus and Charlotte Flair just kind of being announced, but then also the Miz and Dolph Ziggler, right? They have a lot of history, and I, I like this pairing, but it just felt very forced, like, oh, we've had some beef in the past, let's renew it so we can have a spot at SummerSlam, But the fact that they might change it again, I only hope that if they are going to change it again, it's for something more meaningful for Dolph. I mean, I love The Miz. That's well documented. But Dolph has had a lot of great things going his way lately, even if he didn't win the Kofi feud, right? He's been really, really on fire, as he can be, and had some great moments against Shawn Michaels. So – this Miz-Ziggler matchup did feel like a step back. I hope they put Ziggler in a more meaningful position. But again, these pieces are kind of... Um, it just feels like they're no. playing around with the puzzle. They just keep moving all the pieces around until they, they build the picture out. It,
0: it does seem like there's rumblings about maybe it being Goldberg. Now, Ziggler's taken a lot of shots at Goldberg and all the promos recently. Goldberg has said how he would like a chance uh, to clean the the slate after his match that he had with The with Undertaker that was critically panned. So maybe it somehow... Uh, Miz taken out, and we get Ziggler Goldberg at
1: SummerSlam. You know, how do you get there though, right? I mean, yeah, are you going to do I like say. a surprise 100%. entrance or?
0: Hundred percent. That's uh, you. You said exactly what I was thinking, which is like, okay, how do we? How, what's the story here, right? Like, how do you how do you make the pe- puzzle pieces come together? I don't quite see it.
1: Well, they'll they'll figure it out the day of SummerSlam. They'll write something together. That.
0: <laughs> that's what people love. They love it when you just show up and you say. This has all got to go. Fire sale on the script. Uh, yeah, Alistair Black had issued another open challenge for SummerSlam. Man, him and Cesaro just went nowhere. And they they beat the crap out of each other.
1: You know, um, that that was a great... Yeah, I agree. It's strange. I, I loved Alistair Black and Cesaro. And I think that match... I, I think it had a lot of great moments to it. But God, Cesaro, they just... He was going someplace, and they've taken three steps back with him now, and it's very unfortunate.
0: Very weird. Well, the next man up here to take on Alistair Black will be Sami Zayn, who accepted the challenge for SummerSlam. Another match just kind of put together here. Um, I'm sure it'll be great. Um, but, yeah, uh, I don't know. Sami Zayn, they don't really – I don't know. They're kind of in a weird spot right now, you know. Ever since this the, has... ever since the electric chair spot. Ever since that segment. <laughs> Weird, right?
1: Ever since he said AEW on TV, am I right? Real real weird, yeah. Love the match on paper. I don't like the fact that, like, all of these things we just mentioned, they're building these matches literally two weeks out from your second biggest show of the year.
0: Yes. Uh, And, uh, you know, one thing we didn't even get, like, more teasing. Daniel Bryan teasing his announcement, whatever his career-altering announcement is going to be, once again. But he didn't deliver it. Again, what do you make of these non Tease these non announcements of Daniel Bryan's.
1: Well, you know, when you write a show the day of, you forget to add in certain things, right? What is... <laughs> Daniel Bryan went to see the script. What am I announcing? Oh, you don't know yet. All right, I'll just do nothing. Do you think that's the case, or do you think they know? Do you think they know the announcement? I, I think, personally, I think they had an idea for it, and I think that they weren't sure they want to go in that direction. I, think... I just a speculation. I don't know.
0: I kind of wondered if Daniel Bryan wasn't behind the Roman Reigns attack.
1: Okay. That, that's interesting. And I like it. And again, Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan could be a great I mean, it has been a great matchup in the past. Right. But how, how does that fit into Daniel Bryan's character and where he is right now? It's
0: a it's career altering. He's got to alter his career path.
1: Like, what, would he, what would he announce, though? Like, is he announcing, I'm going to attack Roman Reigns, or I'm tired of Roman Reigns, or... Maybe he's like, I'm going to murder Roman Reigns, right? <laughs> like, I don't know.
0: Whoever did it, like, jumped entire production equipment <laughs> on top of Roman Reigns. This isn't like I jumped you with a chair. Come on, right?
1: He's uh, transitioning from professional wrestler to serial killer. Like, what? <laughs> what is yeah,
0: the... yeah, right? Save the planet, you know? Um, I, I don't know. It's just one of the, of the, of the possible... Before I'd read the speculation, you know, Joe makes sense. Buddy Murphy walking around in the background. What's up with that? Uh, I saw it. And I was like, you know, I don't know. There's something ominous and mysterious kind of right now about him and Eric Rowan. And I was like, maybe, maybe they would execute something like this.
1: That could be interesting. And again, I like that better than just going with Samoa Joe because Samoa Joe is the obvious choice here. And if you, play off a mystery with the most obvious choice in the easiest manner possible. It takes away my interest in your future mysteries. So something like Daniel Bryan coming out of left field, if he has a good reason for it, I'm on board.
0: Maybe he wants to be the poster child of WWE. And he's like, I've realized I can't save the planet by being in the tag team division because Vince really doesn't take tag team <laughs> wrestling seriously. So uh-huh. I need to go back to trying to become the poster child because then I can get more platforms to, to speak
1: my mind about the world. He could be in Hobbs and Shaw, too, maybe, you know?
0: Maybe. That's right. Maybe he wants to be in movies. Who knows? All right. Uh, at Russell WrestleVotes, uh, speaking of movies, uh, at Russell votes reporting that we can expect WWE SmackDown to have a more cinematic-like feel to it when the show premieres on Fox on Friday, October 4th. The Blue Brand show will seem cinematic-like, similar to some of the WWE 24 footage we've seen due to new cameras WWE recently experimented with. Now, WWE... Will reportedly film SmackDown with these new cameras when they move to Fox after recently testing out newer, much more expensive technology. WWE officials are said to be pleased with the new cameras produced. I'm on the hook, man. I'm really excited to see what this looks like. Um, I, I just, it's, I'm just, I think this is great. Sounds awesome. I l-
1: yeah, man, give SmackDown a different look and a different feel than what you have on Raw. I think that's a smart play here. It lets Fox feel like their program is different than what's happening on USA every week. And it hopefully, you know, more cinematic-like feel. I dig that. I hope it keeps that kind of raw element of athleticism and sport to it, you know? It, it reminds me a lot of kind of what... Um, I want to say what the ultimate fighter did in later seasons where they did these interviews and stuff, but all that stuff had a lot more produced and more like a movie or or a a TV show than a reality show. And I'd love to see WWE lean more into that kind of production value. You know, keep it a sport, but make it, everything surrounding it feel more uh, raw and authentic and um, higher class almost.
0: Well, talking about higher class, raw and authentic. I'm very excited about this show that WWE and Netflix have announced. The Big Show Show, great name. Netflix has ordered 10 episodes of the live action series. It's a half hour multi camera family comedy. It's going to star Big Show, Allison Munn, kid actresses Raylan Castor, Juliet Donenfeld, and Lily Brooke O'Brien. Now, the premise of this show is that The Big Show Show focuses on the teenage daughter of Big Show, a retired world famous WWE superstar who comes to live with him, his wife, and two other daughters. The big man quickly becomes outnumbered and outsmarted and is no longer
1: <laughs> the center of attention. It's The Big Show Show. I love oh, this. The, the Big Show is a bumbling idiot, bumbling dad, right? What's uh, Obvious uh, guy. No, I dig this because it's a new avenue. The Big Show is a, such an entertaining dude, right? If you get to talk to him like outside of what he does on TV, he's a very just genuine, authentic, down earth kind of guy. So... I dig this. I dig the partnership here, again, with Netflix. They've they've done some stuff in the past, but seeing them actually use wrestlers, you know, we've had all those WWE films over the years, but doing something like this, I think, leans into WWE and its superstars a lot better than trying to do Hollywood movies. So I like that. I I don't know if this show is going to be what I want, right? I feel like I see an element of this where you kind of deal with a guy kind of, you know, not a serious show, but a little more straight-laced comedy where it's a guy dealing with life after his career and the humorous elements that involve him kind of getting back into normal day-to-day. I think they're going to go more sitcom-ish, Fuller House-ish with this. Yes, yes, Which could be fun. It's a different kind of fun. It's not necessarily my cup of tea as much, but I'll watch it. The Big Show show, right? (laughs) The big man quickly becomes outnumbered and outsmarted.
0: I cannot <laughs> wait. I cannot wait. Uh, well, uh, last bit of uh, pro wrestling Hollywood news here. Uh, ESPN spoke with Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, ni- 1997's Freddie Prince Jr. And former WWE creative team member. And he revealed in the interview, to make a long story short, that he and John Cena did not get along. Didn't get along. Yeah. Um, He told a story about like doing a a promo class or an acting class, as he called it, with a couple of the wrestlers. And Cena just kind of came in and sat down. It was a distraction. And so they had to have words. And he had to try to explain to John, if you and I can't get along, these guys aren't going to get to learn from me, an actual actor. They're going to go back to having Vince tell them how to act, right? Which led to my favorite uh, story of the day on the site where Prince gave an example of... Of Vince running a promo class. There was one time that Vince asked Wade Barrett and Seamus to pretend to act like dogs who are wanting to fight. Seamus accidentally said at one point that he was having an out of body experience. Vince was incensed and told him that he's a dog and can't talk. Barrett then barked, and Vince flipped out, yelled, and threw a table over before heading out. Prince then suggested that he could handle the classes, which is when he took over.
1: God. (laughs) That's like the most Vince McMahon... Other than all the sneezing stories, right? Don't sneeze around Vince McMahon. This is the most Vince McMahon story ever, where he he does an acting class that is as literal as you guys pretend to be dogs and bark, and then... (laughs) And then somebody accidentally talks, Seamus says, What? I this is weird, right? And Vince McMahon gets mad because he's not a dog. It's so funny, right? And it's so impulsive. And it and it reeks to me of how Vince McMahon runs this business and the creative size of this industry, where it's just everything off the cuff with him. It's whatever he's feeling in that exact moment, and that's the law of the land. And then he moves on to something else. But but the Freddie Prince John Cena stuff though is fascinating. And I think a lot of people forget that, you know, Freddie Prince Jr. Huge WWE fan for many, many years. Had the chance to work. I think he wrote about the company for a while before actually joining the creative team. But I know at the time they were stoked to have Freddie Prince Jr. come in. A legit Hollywood talent coming into the creative team. And to hear him talk about this now afterwards, it doesn't seem like... Soured grapes or bitter pills, but it shows. I think the industry maybe is a little bit different now than it was back in '08. But it shows how much this company was still kind of protective of the old ways of doing business and having outsiders come in who didn't come up through the professional wrestling system to influence it. That was a challenge for guys like Prince, especially against guys such as John Cena, who have these egos and and not not a bad ego, but a confident ego, and who who kind of dictate the locker room. Um, not not surprising in the least. But it's interesting to hear Freddie Prinze Jr. talk about John Cena, now a Hollywood star in this way.
0: Yeah, man. what a, Just what a maniac. Like Vince McMahon. Like, I wonder how many of these stories there are where he just, like, destroys rooms in rage after telling people to act like animals or whatever the F is going on <laughs> in his crazy, crazy universe at that moment. Well,
1: it's just everything feels so, – it, it makes it hard for you to gauge kind of what you're supposed to do or where you are, right? It reminds me of that Kevin Owens I think it was a 24-7, it was a 365 thing they did, right? And Kevin Owens came back after his match with Jericho, and he looks at Vince McMahon, and Vince McMahon just shakes his head and just, like, not in disgust almost, right? But just disappointed. And in the interview, you hear Kevin Owens talk about how hard that was on him. And that match was well-received, but it very much felt like, again, an impulsive Vince McMahon moment, right? Just like rewriting Raw on SmackDown, a very impulsive Vince McMahon moment. And how hard that is to work within when you have leadership that is, I think Vince is great at steering the business side, but when you have creative leadership that is this impulsive and almost indecisive at times, it makes it hard to know what you're supposed to do to be successful. And I, I think that's very unfortunate for everybody to kind of you, you hear this from John Moxley, John Moxley's interview on the Jericho podcast. It's very unfortunate when you're trying to be creative and do what's right to have to work in that circumstance.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I just Googled how many uh, I just want to get a time frame reference of when this could have happened, like when Seamus and Wade Barrett would have been fighting. It sounds like it looks like 2000. Sometime between 2011 and 2013. So mm. there you go. Mm. Uh, all right. Lastly here, we'll do a couple of AEW news items. AEW has officially announced that John Moxley is going to appear on the debut episode of TNT on TNT. Uh, great. Uh, the, you know, they got the Cody-Sammy match out there. They got the Moxley thing out there. All out is all sold out and is going to be a success regardless. Here, if you can get Punk in the mix at that show, all the better. But I think it's great that they're starting to actually let us know what this first episode is going to look like and, and you know build some anticipation going into it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, John Moxley, of course, he's going to be there. You think, obviously, but again, it gives them something to put out there on Twitter and on the internet to uh, really stir up some more interest in this show.
0: How many? How many viewers? How many people do you think tune in for the debut on TNT?
1: You know. It's like I think about Impact Wrestling and how they were kind of in the what was it? They, they I think they debuted around a two before kind of dropping down to the ones or whatever. I want to say a two. Um, I think they debuted at a two on TNT. It could punch up a little bit higher, maybe to a two point three. Um, I don't know. I think they could maybe come close to matching Raw that week.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's gonna. Be, you know, I was reading. I think Raj posted online uh, that they, uh, you know, they the insiders are looking and saying five hundred to six hundred thousand viewers would be appropriate. I think triple that. I think it's going to be way more people that are interested to check this thing out. I I, I think it's going to be a much bigger number than people are expecting.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think a two is a, both an optimistic bet, but also a safe bet. I, I want to say they come in somewhere around a, a 2.0 rating.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I was trying to find the rating here for TNA's debut when they went head-to-head with with WWE, but I can't find it. So, You don't get to hear it. All right. Um, And then the other AEW news item, Marco Stunt turned 23 yesterday. Happy birthday, Marco. And for his birthday, he got his AEW contract. I think this is a great hire by AEW. Marco's great. And I just, I'm looking at, Marco, you wouldn't see a guy like Marco in WWE. Not that young, not that size. Very unique pickup here by AEW. I'm a, I'm a, a big fan of this one here.
1: And it's very, it's very telling of their strategy, right? Again, congrats to Marco Stunt here. It's also showing that AEW is wanting to invest in the future of this sport, but in their own way, with their own kinds of talents, and I think that's awesome.
0: My guest at this time is a former Shine Nova champion, a competitor in the second season of the May Young Classic. She'll go one-on-one with Jake Atlas at Rise's Regional Rising Stars Tournament on Sunday, September 1st in Chicago, Illinois. It is Hell's Favorite Harlot, priscilla kelly priscilla thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today
2: yeah thank you for having
0: me my pleasure now uh talk to me a little bit about this uh match you've got here against jake atlas um jake is a is a rising star much like you are in the, in the world of pro wrestling right now
2: yeah so we were actually in a six-way um a six-way doors match on the last rise and um it broke down to just me and jake there at the end and um it was just one of those things where there was so much chemistry and there was so much fire between us as competitors. And it was just something that I feel like everybody wanted and needed to see in a singles match, including me and Jake ourselves. So um, it's, it's something I'm really excited for. And it's a match that I didn't know that I needed to have. (laughs) That's
0: You know, and it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, again, I'm so happy to see you two paired off against each other, but intergender wrestling, it's becoming like commonplace on the indies. Now. What do you, what do you think about the men and the women uh, mixing it up more right now in pro wrestling?
2: Um, I think it's a really good thing. I think it's really interesting to see how different styles can match up. Um, you know, it's just like, wrestling different female competitors when you wrestle different men you're getting to experience you know a match that you wouldn't get to experience otherwise and I think it's really cool it's really fun and again you get times like me and Jake Atlas where you can create something really special and really fun and um you know it's I think it's just it's good for everybody because it's it's, it kind of gives women the sense of we're not this like obscure different um you know, thing in wrestling that we can, you know, as cliche as it sounds, we can hang with the guys too, and we can, you know, go toe to toe with them.
0: Yeah. And, you know, rise is a really fun, interesting promotion right now. Uh, they made a lot of headlines here in, in just the past couple months. What do you think uh, makes rise stand out right now on, on the pro wrestling scene?
2: Um, I think rise is doing a really good thing with just, you know, getting eyes on people and um, allowing new talent to come up and be seen by the world. And, Uh, you know one of the recent ones was um, a guy named Davon and he was on he was in the six-way doors match at the last rise with me and I had never heard of him before rise but he was really amazing just so you know charismatic and you know every move was just on point and you wouldn't have people breaking out like that if it wasn't for rise so it's just just goes to show how important something
0: like that is yeah no great example you know the example i was thinking of recently was effie who has like seemingly caught everybody off guard here in the past couple months he cut this like very impassioned promo at the pride and joy show uh speaking out about lgbtq talent and how they haven't been used year-round what do you think what do you think of effie what do you think of what he said at that show
2: um i mean i definitely agree i feel like a lot of people you know they want to do what's cool in the moment or what's hot in the moment. And they don't, you know, they're not talking about things 24 seven. It's only because, okay, it's LGBTQ. It's, it's, you know, it's June. So let's talk about it. And it's like, no, we should, you know, always embrace that. We should always talk about that. And, um, you know, I've got a friend of mine that is an incredible worker, incredible wrestler. Um, and, you know, he's got so much talent, but nobody books him because they don't take him seriously. Um, because whether it's he's gay or because he dresses flamboyant, whatever it may be, people don't take him seriously. And he he talks to me all the time about how he works so hard. And um, it's really sad to hear that, that, you know, you can not be taken seriously just because of your look or your, you know, sexuality. And I think it's something that a light kind of needs to be shined on. Um, So I think, you know, Effie has a point with everything he said.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know how there's more inclusion of LGBTQ women as a late. I mean, do you think that there is meat to that discussion? Do you feel like there is an actual uh, revolution going on in regards to being more inclusive within pro wrestling at the moment? Um,
2: I I don't know. Like I feel like, you know, I think it's all just depending. Because I mean, some people, you know, they some people would embrace it, and I I don't know. It's it's hard for me to say because you know I. I don't want to speak on anyone's you know behalf of like you know oh, okay well this is good for the LGBT, you know community because you know i'm not lgbtq myself but i uh you know i feel like i don't know i just feel like everybody needs to be given a chance equally whether you're gay straight man or woman and like the most important thing that i want to put out there as a message is you know that everybody deserves a chance. Everybody deserves, um, you know, the benefit of the doubt. And I believe at the end of the day, people should be getting booked and getting pushed based on their talent, period, yeah. no matter who they are.
1: Yeah, and, you know, you are you
0: are definitely somebody, I think, of the times that has dealt with that issue of being treated, you know, differently than others. You know, I go back to, I guess, what is called now the, the suburban fight controversy where, by the way, when you did the tampon spot, I showed that to my girlfriend, and she's like, this woman is my new favorite wrestler. This is what I want to see more from women wrestling. I want to see more badasses that aren't scared to take chances. Do you feel like you got judged differently because you're a woman and did a, did like this dirtier spot than like a, man, a way a man would have been treated in that situation?
2: Absolutely. I believe, you know, I've seen men do way worse things. I've seen men do things that are disgusting um, and very much real in the ring and on television, Um, and nobody raises a single finger or an uproar, Um, I think it's, you know, well, A, you know, a woman's menstrual cycle is something that's been, you know, you should be embarrassed of that. It's something that women should be ashamed of, and, you know, it's all very hush-hush, and we shouldn't talk about it, and it's, I'm not talking about, like, a century ago. I'm talking about still today, people are very, like, weird when you bring up, you know, a woman's period. And it's like, you know, I feel like it's, it's something that we can't help. It's natural. It's like what our bodies do. Why do we have to feel so ashamed of it? Um, but it's like, men and women both seem to be so afraid of that topic for some reason. And I really don't understand it. Um, but it, and again, besides that, You know, people can watch a Rob Zombie film, they'll go out and buy tickets to see the most horrific films that include um, anything from rape to gore to, uh, you know, you name it. And they'll go out and watch and pay to see that and they'll love it. But then they see something right in front of them, you know, in professional wrestling, and they want to criticize it and tell say about how it's not entertainment and how it's disgusting. Okay, if that's not entertainment, and that's so disgusting then you better not be buying tickets to that new Rob Zombie film. You better not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's just, it's just hypocr- hypocrisy because people want to say how I'm disgusting and how I don't know how to entertain. And, um, you know, what I did was just a cheap, uh, pop or whatever. No, I was doing something that was entertaining for myself. I didn't do that to gain the attention of the internet. I didn't even know if it was going to be a big deal. I didn't even know that it was going to be a big deal. Um, because again, you know, I've said it before in other interviews. You, when you do shows like that, you don't know that that footage is even going to really make it anywhere. Because yeah. sometimes there's a lot of matches that are filmed that never see the light of day. So I just thought it was something funny, and I thought it was something it was something to entertain myself with. <laughs>
0: it, it's different. I mean, you took a risk. I, I thought it was great too. You know, and the, the, what I what I'm interested in is, you know, one of the questions my girlfriend actually wanted to ask as well was. Do you feel like men reacted differently to that than women? Did you get very different reactions or do you think it was a bit of, of was it more even the reactions you got?
2: I feel like there were a lot of men that didn't like it, but I would say the more the more um, hateful comments that I got were from women actually. Huh. So there were a lot of men that didn't like it, but um, most of the hate like bad, bad hate came from women. Because when you come to the, you know, business side of professional wrestling, there were a lot of men speaking out about it, saying that they liked it and they thought that it was cool or they thought that it was different. Um, you know, just to name a few, like Kaz had spoke about it and Tommy Dreamer had spoke about it. And, um, you know, there were a few more, but there were a lot of women that just wanted to bash me. And huh. people wanted to say that it was, you know, counteractive to the, the women's revolution. And I believe that, you know, a women's revolution doesn't mean one thing. All the women going out there and hitting each other as hard as they can and, you know, winning belts and stuff like that's That's great and all, but real revolution is being treated equal as men. And in in men, in their, you know, spectrum of entertainment, there's all different kinds. You've got, you know, catch point, you've got uh, you know, guys that flip, you've got guys that entertain with their private parts, Joey Ryan. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, you know, everything in between. And in men's wrestling, everything is accepted. You can do everything because, you know, nobody bats an eye again. People can spit right in another man's mouth on TV and that scene is like edgy and cool. But if a woman does something of similarity, that's of similar disgust, that's not even you know, it's not even a real spot. It it just gets bashed. And I think people need to step back and realize, like, all women's wrestling doesn't have to be the same. And, um, you know, women need to stop being so afraid to push the envelope. Because I feel like, you know, all these women that are speaking about the women's revolution, and that are preaching about women empowerment. And it's like, these same women that are preaching about female empowerment and empowering each other are the same women that brought me down publicly on the internet. And I believe you want a women's revolution and you want women empowerment. That is going to start with other women, lifting other women up and stopping this criticism and backstabbing and, you know, just making people look bad. And not just with me, there's so many other women that will just sit and tear other women apart for no reason. And it's like, that's where, that's where the women's revolution needs to start is with women treating other women
0: with respect i think it's a fascinating uh conversation you know I'm, I'm here in chicago i did chicago improv for a long time and like you know you hear tina Fey and amy Poehler talk about how hard it is to get away with women doing fart jokes in movies right it just doesn't land the same way as when men do a 10 minute fart joke routine you know do you think it's a, do you think yeah. it's a generational issue i mean what do you what do you attribute the double standard i guess to
2: Well, I think, you know, it dates back to the beginning of time, women being told they should speak when spoken to and women should cross their legs when they sit and they shouldn't speak up. They shouldn't have an opinion. I mean, there was even a time in history where a woman was not supposed to be anything but a housewife that smiled all the time. And God forbid, if if she even spoke about her feelings or cried, they would suggest a lobotomy. You know, like that was a real thing in time. And I just feel like we're not really too far from that. And with, you know, not to get all political here, but with the abortion laws and, um, you know, the way people still treat the topic of a menstrual cycle, it's, it almost seems like we're still stuck stuck back in the 50s. Um, and it's just, it's just really sad. And I saw something, it was a protest that was like a few weeks back and there was an older lady holding up a sign and she said, I can't believe I'm still having to protest this crap. And it's true. You know, people need to stop putting women in that position of we can't speak up and we can't, you know, be who we want to be. But, and and back to wrestling, I feel like, you know, women don't feel like they can step outside the envelope and be who they want to be. They don't feel like they can do these things that, you know, fulfill them creatively because they're scared of what everyone's going to say. And I've even had girls tell me that they enjoyed my tampon spot and that they wish they could have done something like that themselves, but they would be too scared. Yeah. And that's what's wrong with things because men aren't scared to do anything. Mm. Men aren't scared to push the envelope because nobody will put them down for it.
0: You're absolutely right about that. You know, and it's it's fascinating to to hear you with this perspective because I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a bombshell on you. I didn't know that you were on my Big Fat American Gypsy Wedding until I started researching you, and I may or may not have spent two hours with my girlfriend last night watching the episodes you were in. And uh, when uh when you talk about how you know women were supposed to be like housewives and things like that, I mean, it kind of seemed like you were being pushed a little bit in that direction. As a kid, I mean, are, are a lot of your, uh, I guess, like instincts? Is it is it a reaction you think to the way you were brought up, or, or are you still very much tied to the to the roots that you have?
2: Um, well, I mean, with no disrespect, that TV show was very much uh, like a fake story. Um, going into that, it was supposed to be one thing, but it ended up being very scripted. It and it ended up being not what we expected it was going to be. Okay. Um, they at one point, like the TV show was actually like named after me being 14, trying to find a husband. And that's not at all what it was. Mm-hmm. It was me throwing a you know, a party and they took it and made it into something completely else. Mm-hmm. And so everyone thinks that that TV show and that whole series is so true and like accurate on the how like life really is and like how everything, you know, really was. But it's completely false. <laughs> everyone still thinks that I was trying to find a husband at 14 and it's like the biggest lie. Um, But yeah. But (laughs) anyways, that, but I still, I did grow up very strict. I did grow up very like, you know, I wasn't allowed to date. I wasn't really allowed to have like friends or go out or anything like that. You know, like I, I didn't have like my first real boyfriend until I was 16 and even that was like really, really like hush, hush, like quiet. Like I wasn't allowed to tell my parents and I wasn't allowed to, you know, go anywhere by myself and um you know I was raised very much like that like my parents you know I was basically shamed from any kind of sexuality and um so yeah and that does travel into my wrestling persona that's why I became who I became in wrestling because I was under such a you know strict household that I wanted to express myself and it was always you know the men in my family could go out and do what they want, but women had to sit home. They weren't allowed to go out. They weren't allowed to speak up. They had to sit with their, you know, sit very like, you know, it was just, it, and it's just not right the double standard that, you know, we've already been talking about. Sure, um,
0: sure.
2: But with my wrestling, I wanted to explore that and I wanted to exploit the fact that women can do what they want and women can push the envelope and women don't have to be shamed for, you anything, anything different than men, you know, and it's like, that's really all, that's all I ever really wanted to show is that, um, you know, just, we want to be treated equal.
0: Have you heard from other, uh, girls that were brought up in the same culture that are like, wow, thank you for, for blazing a trail for me to do something a little bit different?
2: Um, some of them, but a lot of the times, um, you know, they're so stuck in like their own bubble that, and they're so raised you know this one way their whole lives that, you know a lot of them still think that what i do is very like horrible and i'm just a horrible person and um everything like that but you know there are some that reach out to me and say hey like we think it's awesome that you're going and doing your own thing and um you know so it's good to see the different sides of it but um yeah
0: man uh, well, we, you know, uh, when I found that out, we did, we fell down the rabbit hole last night and we didn't really think it was all on the level anyway, but it's nice to hear that from you as well. So, um, you know, one thing I want to ask you about as well is, you know, you talked about, you know, you're dating, you're 16, keeping your relationship private. You're married now. You're married to AEW's Darby Allen. You guys are quite the pair. How did you meet Darby?
2: Um, we met, we were both signed to Evolve, and, uh, we both, you know, we were just around each other at Evolve and, you know. Doing like 30 hour van drives together, and uh, you know, we never really spoke or anything. And we ended up doing a double header with progress, and neither of us were on the progress show after Evolve, so he was going to Times Square. And I was just like, Hey, I've never been to my Times Square, so can I come with you? And he was like, Sure, and he did not want me to go with him, but I wanted to go because I wanted to see Times Square. <laughs> um, but so I ended up going, we ended up talking, and then you fast forward like two months later. We ended up going on like a couple dates to like you know went to like a casualties concert and hung out and talked and whatnot and then you know kind of just became whatever and then like four months later he proposed to me so.
0: Wow, that's that's a whirlwind right there. Um, you know what? Yeah. It, what's it like for you? You know, getting to watch him blow up right now in, in AEW. I mean, he had that killer match with Cody, went to a draw. I mean, how do you feel for him and his success right now?
2: Yeah, well, he, you know, he, I've pretty much seen him go through everything because when he first started dating me, he was homeless, yeah. living in his car. Um, so it's interesting just to see, you know, how much life can change in just a year because, you know, we went from not really having anything together and both of us have kind of come up together with each other. And, you know, now we have our own place and we're, you know, doing our own thing. And um, it just feels so different from where we started together.
0: That's, I'm so happy to hear that, Priscilla. And like, you know, is there, I mean, on that note, I mean, you know, we've seen Janella Penelope, we've seen Brandy and Cody, and are we going to get to see you two paired up, you think, anytime soon?
2: Um, there's no, that's another thing I probably should put out there. Everyone assumes that I'm going to be this big AEW reveal or that I'm signing or, you know, but the thing is, is, you know, when wrestling couples are wrestling couples, People don't, don't have to always assume that because one person is going somewhere that the other person's got to follow. So basically, I'm finding my own success independently. I'm doing things, I'm going to England overseas for a month in September. Um, and that's what my career is looking like right now. Um, there is no talks of me going to AEW with Darby. Um, you know, it's kind of just we're, we're both finding our own success in our own ways. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, and obviously you did, you know, you did the the second season of the Mae Young Classic there. I mean, is WWE uh, a spot that you could still see yourself winding up in?
2: Um, I mean, if WWE was interested and they, you know, reached out, I would definitely give it a shot. I mean, right now I'm just, you know, I'm really just taking everything that feels the best for me. Um, And I'm really just having fun with it, getting to see the world and, um, you know, just trying to, be happy with what I'm doing, and you know, if something makes me happy, then I'm going to do it.
0: That's awesome, Priscilla. Well, I, I'm happy for you. Uh, you and Darby both. You guys are crushing it right now. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the interview today?
2: Um, well, obviously, I've got the large London Hurricane Show in Texas on Saturday this weekend. Um, and then, let me see. I gotta like, go to my calendar. <laughs> But yeah, I'm doing that um, big show, The the Summit up in Canada with RISE and Shimmer and Femme Fatales. That's going to be a really big show. Um, And yeah, we've got a few other things coming up, but everything's on my Twitter. So um, any updates on shows, they'll all be posted there. My Twitter is Priscilla Kelly underscore.
0: Thank you very much, Priscilla, for the time. Thank you, Michael Weissman, for chatting the news with me at the top of the show. Uh, to, to answer what you asked at the top about, uh, is, was there a tease for Priscilla to go to AEW? I was supposed to send you this audio yesterday to listen to, but I forgot. Um, uh, the answer is, she said, just because they're a wrestling couple doesn't mean you should assume that they're going to move together. And she's not talking with AEW. She's, hmm. uh, she's going to do her own thing. And Darby's going to do his own thing. For now, uh, that's JJ. She seemed pretty passionate about it. Gotta listen. Go back, listen. And if you already mm. listen to it, go back, listen to it again. Uh, tomorrow on the show, two big interviews to close our week out. We are going to be welcoming onto the show uh, Al Snow. I talked with Al. He's the new owner of OVW. He's in this great new book called Moving Forward that we talk about. Uh, and we talk, you know, of course, he was like a six time hardcore champion. Get his take on what they're doing with the 24-7 championship right now. Uh, also tomorrow, uh, Brian Alvarez will be on the show. Scott Fishman got to chat with Alvarez uh, about his new book. So you're going to get to hear about that tomorrow as well. So uh, so great. Very exciting. I also know Brian Alvarez, Scott Fishman, and, and, of course, Michael Weissman will all be here. What a party. We should go get a uh, vegetable platter.
1: It's going to be, you know, yeah, vegetable. Pl- Thirsty Thursday with vegetables. No, it's going to be fun, man. I'm excited to be here again. Only thing I got to plug today again, like every day, follow me on Twitter. I am at The Real Wise, and I'll give you opinions on pro wrestling, politics, old school music, video game, whatever you want. I'll talk about it. Let's do it.
0: Yeah. And you. I know you have your dogs and your cats and all that. I was uh, at the park yesterday, and uh, the dog. It was a big dog that looked like Hercules from the Sandlot came by and was it's like a, the size of a horse. It was a gigantic dog I saw yesterday.
1: That's that's a good story. Also, I love the Sandlot, so that's what makes that a good story. <laughs>
0: Great story. Um, all right, everybody. Yes, I am at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in. Can't wait uh, to come back tomorrow. Of course, Friday over on Wrestling Inc.'s YouTube channel. Uh, me and Raj Giri, we're bringing it back, weekly TV. So check that out. Uh, and uh, remember, if you're Winked, you didn't miss it.